the America that my kids grew up in, they know about female governors and, and Native American congressmen and African American speakers and congressmen and, and black presidents. Like, that, it, that's just as common to them as, 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 you know, winter and summer. So, and that's a good thing. Capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am your host, Joel Harder. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with T.W. Shannon. T.W. has held a number of leadership roles in private business, the finance industry. He's currently the president and CEO of Chickasaw Community Bank. He is also a well-known voice in politics, both in the state and the nation. He's often featured on television and the radio, commenting on current political trends and the news of the day. But he holds a special distinction in Oklahoma history. T.W. Shannon is the first African-American to be elected as Speaker of the Oklahoma House of Representatives. I know you're going to enjoy hearing his reflections on his historic election to that position and what it means to him to have been the first African-American to hold such a key leadership role in our state. If you haven't already, please take a few minutes and subscribe to The Leaders We Need on whatever platform where you get your podcasts. You can subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave us a comment, let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear more of. We love to hear from our listeners and incorporate your feedback into future episodes. And if you find one of these episodes particularly interesting to you and helpful, please share it with others. Well, let's get to my conversation with T.W. Shannon on The Leaders We Need. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, T.W., I am so excited to have you on The Leaders We Need. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Can I call you T.W.? Oh, of course, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of you, a big fan of the show, and I'm, I'm honored to be here. So well, thank you for having me. Well, and I'm loving being in your office and seeing all the stuff you've got around here. So, Well, I'm glad you got to see it now because uh, two weeks ago it didn't look like this. <laughs> so, so thank you. Thank yeah. you. Why don't we start with a question that I love to ask yeah. everyone that's on The Leaders We Need. And that is just to kind of go back into your history a little bit and reflect on your past and think yeah. about what were some of those experiences that you had, maybe some relationships mm-hmm. that at the time, maybe you didn't see how they were really shaping your leadership mm-hmm. or how you would lead or your thoughts on leadership. Yeah. 
But in you know reflection, you can see they really were significant to your leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I think probably, Joe, for me, you know, when I think about what kind of shapes and makes who I am, it definitely starts at home like most people. I mean, I was blessed with two amazing parents. I have the parents. I had the parents every kid deserves. I mean, yeah. they just um, they, they, they both made me feel like I was the number one priority in their life. I never once doubted that. I never once doubted. Um, you know, my, my worth to them. Yeah. Um, I, I knew that, you know, they would move heaven and earth for me. I, I always knew that. Um, I was blessed that they were both college educated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't, we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we, we certainly, um, had, you know, I didn't, I didn't want for a lot of things. So I, I was blessed in that sense. Uh, the, uh, I have a sister who's 12 years older than me. So it's like okay. I had even a, a second mom too. Yeah. And, and her, she was more like a second mother. Uh, we're super close. And so that, that was really the core. But when I, when I think outside of that, it really starts growing up in a little African American church, Bethlehem Baptist church in Lawton, yeah. uh, where I, you know, you hear a lot about the African American experience and the challenge that there's been, uh, for African Americans historically. And, and all of that's real. But I got to tell you, my reality was very, very different. Um, I was raised in a church full of Christian men who loved their wife and who supported their community and loved their church and loved the Lord. And so um, that was that was my reality. And, and I, I grew up in a Christian home and that, that made a that made a big difference. Now, uh, my dad, it wasn't until I was in sixth grade where he really kind of rededicated his life to the Lord. And I saw the difference. I, I know the difference that it made. I saw it was like a 180 degree change in my life. He's already a Christian, mm-hmm. but I don't think he was, you know, probably um, uh, walking with the Lord as, as much as he later would. You know, he, he and mom, um, they, they 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 didn't figure. I, men- I mentioned they they were terrific parents, but they didn't figure out marriage until later. Yeah. So the marriage was a, was a little tougher deal for them. Uh, but but my sister and I were 12 years apart, and so. Like the parents I got were very different than the parents mm-hmm. she got, if you will, because uh, they were a lot younger. They were a lot different in their in their financial stability. But but dad, when he rededicated his life, we moved to Lawton mm-hmm. uh, from Oklahoma City. I was born in Oklahoma City and went to school here through sixth grade. His mother got sick and we moved to Lawton. He, he, that's where he we really got active in church. Um, he, he, he became a deacon mm-hmm. and it, it, it just, it just changed. I mean, the, the, the way that he interacted with mom, the way that he led on, on almost everything, the way that he led family devotions. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, cha- it changed overnight. And I, I, I remember that. I know the difference, you know, those things you can see and yeah, observe. Yeah. And it, it was tangible and real. And that's, I mean, that's such an important lesson right there in leadership is so often the people you're influencing the most, you don't know you're influencing them. It's because they're watching you. Mm. You, you know, to that point, I had this thought. I was telling my wife this the other day. You know, we all do so much on our phones now mm-hmm. and I'm guilty. And, you know, I've got the Bible app and most of my reading I do, I do on my phone. But I was telling my wife, I said, you know, it's amazing. I think I'm robbing my kids of something that I had. You know, I, I remember walking in my room my parents room at different times and seeing my dad on his knees praying or mm-hmm. reading his bible my kids don't really see that yeah not because i'm not praying not because i'm not reading my bible it's just it's on my phone yep. and there's something to there's something to that i don't yeah. know there's something to those pages and something to that leather binding and 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 i, I think there's a i think i need to bring it back i need to do a better job well, with we, that. we do all sorts of stuff on our phones and, mm-hmm. and you can't just expect that they're going to 
they're going to be able to differentiate That's right. That's what right. it is. I'm really interested. How did the idea of politics and policy, that interest first kind of take root in you? So the um, my, my first job out of college was working for a guy by the name of J.C. Watts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was graduating from Cameron University. Uh, I had been accepted to uh, law school in Washington, D.C. I was headed to Howard University and I needed something to do for the summer. So I was just going around filling out applications around town in Lawton. And I saw what I thought was just a federal seal. I thought, well, that'd be good. Maybe there's something there. Uh, I didn't know it was a congressional. I didn't even know what a congressional seal was, as a matter yeah. of fact. And I walk in and JC was there and we struck up a conversation and I told him what I wanted to do that, you know, I just really need something temporarily. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was the fourth ranking member of Congress at the yeah. time. Didn't, didn't, didn't appreciate any of that. And uh, we talked and he, he later came back and met with the staff, Chad Alexander. And they told me um, they didn't have anything in DC or they didn't have anything uh, in DC at the time. Um, but they were starting the campaign. The 2000 campaign was starting up and they needed somebody in the Southwest Oklahoma area. And of course, by that time I figured out who JC was and I thought, man, this would be a neat, this would be kind of a neat opportunity. Plus I had just started dating a really pretty girl named Devin uh, Murray at the time. And I really didn't want to go to DC. And so he offered me a job working on his campaign. And then I, I wound up going to law school at night at OCU. So I was, I was doing both. Uh, so you were in law school during the campaign. Mm-hmm. I was in law school during the campaign. That's brave. Uh, oh, I know. I, <laughs> I did it. I worked full time all four years through law school. I went at night. Yeah. Um, I went to not law school at night and worked for uh, JC for two years during the day and then worked for Tom Cole for two years. It, it was, it was a, I still get kind of PTSD when I drive down OCU now because it was just such a miserable experience. I mean, it was in law school. I mean, law school is tough anyway, but I think I could have enjoyed it if mm-hmm. I wasn't working and I, and we, I was working hard too. Yeah. I mean, it, it was tough, but, but it, God was faithful and, and um, I, I had a great, amazing learning experience, but I think I got the bug long answer to the question. I got the bug for politics kind of working with JC. I just saw, you know, I had this, you know, he's like the master communicator and mm-hmm. uh, just a man of faith. And, and not only that, not only did I see him on the, public policy standpoint in legislating, um, we, we, he wound up asking Devin and I at different times to, he had five kids and, you know, he was traveling as the fifth, as the fourth ranking member of Congress. He was gone a lot. And so he just, you know, Frankie, his wife, they're, they're dear friends. Now they just needed help mm-hmm. getting people to, you know, a to B, you know, they with five kids and I don't think any of them drove at the time, but the ones that drove were gone. Um, and so they just needed an uh, extra set of keys. And so we wind up getting to know the family well. And, yeah. and I got to know him. And I was just, and again, he's the real deal, man. Just just seeing somebody uh, in the fray of, of all kinds of national debates, but watching him be a father and balance all of that, it just left an impression on me. Yeah. It did. It wasn't so much the direct policy work or priorities, those were of interest, but it was that getting to know the person and the family and, um, you know, just, just because you're serving an office doesn't mean that every other aspect of your life is put on hold. That's a huge part of who you are. No, that's right. That's right. A lot of friends that I have back in DC, uh, who have risen to higher levels working in 
Senate offices or House offices. It's amazing to me how many of the you know really strong leaders in those offices started out as drivers. Yeah, absolutely. For the member. So in a way, that's your story a little bit too. It, it, it absolutely is. You, you learn. I mean, and you get to you get to see a person really at their worst. And mm. I got to tell you, the JC at his worst is still better than I'd put it mm. up against anybody. I mean, the guy is just – and he's that way now. I mean, we go to the same church now, um, and I just uh, – I, I learned so much about – about life. And again, like I mentioned, I had, I had wonderful parents, but my dad was a teacher and my mom was a social worker. And so Mm -hmm. some of the, the social circles, that wasn't my, that wasn't my reality. I had to learn that stuff. I Mm -hmm. had to, I had to be a part of that, but I had the most awesome teacher that kind of sit at the feet of JC who just happened to be one of the most honest, you know, moral guys you'll ever meet. That, that just, that just impacted me in a big way. So what was the first office you ran for? Uh, state representative. Okay. So I, I was working by that time after I left the congressional office, I finished law school. My first job out of law school was working for my tribe, the Chickasaw Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was asked to come be the chief administrative officer. I was 24 years old at the time. Devin and I were recently married. We moved to Ada and it was wonderful. I mean, I, it was, I was a C-level officer, you know, probably in way over my head, to be honest with me. Uh, but Governor Anatubby and the tribe, they were patient with me and allowed me to make a lot of mistakes, but I got a lot of real, real life business experience. And, and then I, and I learned then that the skill set I had developed, you know, with relationship building in the congressional office, and then kind of the, the credentials I had developed, you know, as a, as a law student, that they really did carry over into the business world. And so I got, I didn't know, I mean, you think they do, you hope they do. Uh, but I got that we had about 7,500 employees uh, when I was working at the tribe. But and so life was good. Life mm-hmm. was great. Uh, we got uh, Devin got pregnant with our daughter, Audrey. That would have been 2001. And we, I'm sorry. No, we, she got pregnant with Audrey in 2005. And um, I had some folks come to me and ask me about running for office because I knew as the field rep, you kind of get to know people right. and you, you your job is to know who's running for office and who's not. And some of the folks from my hometown in Lawton asked me to come home and run. And I prayed about it and told Devin, hey, I want to move us back home to Lawton and make $38,000 a year. Are you in? And she said, I am. <laughs> so we did. And, uh, and and we were blessed. It was, it was, a, it was a wonderful, yeah. it was a good time. It was the call from people in the community that mm-hmm. saw your character, your abilities and and encouraged you to seek office they did um you know i by that time though if i'm honest i, I as i mentioned i kind of developed the bug i mean yeah. i always thought yeah i i, I want to be jc watts you know you know I, I was young enough and naive to think that you could just be jc watts there's only one um but i uh i did develop kind of the the interest but I had no idea about the timing. I didn't think the timing would, you know, I thought it'd be much later on in life. I thought it'd yeah. be much later on when I was in my forties after I'd made some money, uh, hopefully, uh, but God had a different plan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm so glad I did. I mean, it was, that was a great experience. Yeah. It really is, but you know, your hometown, it, it, it means something in the town you grew up in. What did you discover once you stepped into the legislature uh, that maybe you didn't expect? People problems, do not change regardless of where you are. Mm. The things I had learned in elementary school about getting along with people and, and, 
and keeping your word and, and being on time and being respectful and saying, I'm sorry. And, and being aware of, of egos and how you have to maneuver around people, um, that, that skill set is real. And, and, and understanding that people really want to do the right thing. Most of the time, I think, I think most people want to do the right thing, but when you've got 101 people in a body who all think they're doing the right thing, how do you bring that home? And, mm-hmm. and what, what I learned probably uh, most as, as a legislator is that, man, anybody in, in public service, it really is ministry. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is just, it's not different than the 13th chapter of Romans where the Apostle Paul talks about how we're ministers, mm-hmm. which is, means you're serving people. And I just learned then you take the gifts and talents that you've been blessed with, you apply them to the task at hand, and then you leave the outcome to him. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's what I learned, you know, mm-hmm. and I was still young. I was 28 when I was elected to the legislature. So I still thought I was a little bit invincible and, 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 and probably, um, I, I certainly didn't lack self-confidence. Uh, there was enough ego to go around, but I, I also learned very quickly there's so much I don't know. I think that was the other thing. Just it, when you're a legislator, you're blessed with a terrific education about your state, about issues, about everything you can name under the sun. And you just realize there's a whole world I don't know about, but people expect you to have an opinion about it. You have to very quickly form an informed opinion about things. And so that was probably the, the thing I learned the most as a legislator. And that's an excellent point. And I don't, think that people fully realize that that is the case serving in the state capitol. A lot of our legislators in both the House and the Senate, they may have particular policy passions and priorities that where they have a extensive background mm-hmm. or can see solutions going in. Those mm-hmm. are the, those are the areas that they want to focus on, but you still got to vote on everything else. That's right. I see there's a real opportunity to build a lot of relationship across the legislature because you've got to lean on other members Absolutely. Uh, when, especially when maybe the, the issue of the day is in somebody else's wheelhouse a little more mm-hmm. than yours. And so mm-hmm. what were your priorities that, that maybe you wanted to really work on going into the legislature? When I, when I ran for state house, something that's always been near and dear to my heart was just this idea of generational poverty. I had, mm-hmm. I had learned and read a lot about how if you're born into poverty, it really comes, my mom was a social worker. Mm-hmm. And so she dealt in the areas of healthcare. And so I would see her and mom was a bleeding heart. We, we unfortunately lost her in February, mm-hmm. but um, she was a, a, a bleeding heart. And I would always, again, I didn't grow up in abject poverty. I was blessed that we, we weren't rich by any stretch, but um, we, I knew it when I saw it, you know, it's, it's like everything else. You, you know it when you see it. And she would, you know, there were always people at our house and she'd bring people home from work. And, and I, and I began then thinking about how different your life is if your mom's poor and your grandmother was poor and her mother and grandmother were poor, man, that's a, that's hard to overcome. I'm not just talking about situational poverty. I mean, generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was real interested then about how do you begin to change that model? I mean, what, what's what's what is government's role? So that that was kind of a from a heart standpoint that 
became an, a priority for me. Uh, but in practicality, you know, committee assignments kind of dictate where your priorities are. Yeah. And, and I was blessed um, my second year, my first year, you're just your first time term, you're just kind of figuring where the bathrooms are. Uh, and then my and second moved. Yeah. yeah and, then, and then they moved. Yeah, I know I was in the Capitol. Um, the, but, and then the second year I was uh, gifted with the responsibility of being chairman of the transportation committee. Mm. And so that wound up being my infrastructure kind of became more of my interest in anything mm. uh, before I got elected to speaker. So um, it was probably more infrastructure. Yeah. You hold a place in history mm. in our state. Uh, you are the first African-American to be elected Speaker mm -hmm. of the House. What does that mean to you? you? You know, I posted this the other day on my uh, Facebook account. And it was because, you know, those memories pop up of yeah. old pictures. And it was it's the this, best. That's the best part of Facebook. It, it, it really is. It that really is. your birthday. That, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. That, that's, that may be the only good thing now. <laughs> it's gotten so, so mean out there. But the um, the, the, the the picture that popped up was of my swearing in day, the yeah. day I got sworn in as speaker. And, and the person who swore me in was a guy, and then you talk about leaders pouring into leaders, was uh, a guy on the court of criminal appeals. Uh, at the time, he was the uh, Supreme Court, he was the Chief Justice of the Court of Criminal Appeals, uh, David B. Lewis. Well, Judge mm -hmm. Lewis was a special, special district judge in Comanche County when I was a kid, and he's the guy that talked me into going to law school. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't think I could really... I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And he, he said, hey, you're smart enough. You need to do this. Go do it. And I did it. And so I asked him to swear me in because we had a relationship. But, 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 but to your point about the image that popped up on Facebook uh, for me was of me being sworn in. And what I remember about that day more than anything was walking into the chamber and seeing my picture on the wall. And it wasn't, it wasn't an ego trip for me at all, but Obviously, my picture looks a little different than the other mm -hmm. pictures that are on there. And I remember thinking then about what it meant for me to be standing in that moment, like like mm -hmm. the number of people that had sacrificed, people like A.C. Hamlin, who was the first African-American elected to the Oklahoma legislature in 1907. He was elected in the first class, a mm -hmm. Republican who was then disenfranchised uh, by Jim Crow. Just the idea of being there you know, of a guy like A.C. Hamlin being chosen by his community to represent them. And then all of your colleagues deciding you don't belong there. And we didn't have anybody elected until I think the 60s, anybody else of color. And so that that crossed my mind when I saw that picture there. And then the same image that popped up later on Facebook was uh, so, some years after that when I went on a um, when I went on a field trip with my son to the Capitol with his school and he wanted to get a picture under my picture. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how different the world is because when kids that look like him, this doesn't look so foreign because there's a guy that kind of looks like me. So, so you, so that stuff, that stuff matters. I mean, when I, when I was running, I honestly didn't think about that. That wasn't on my mind. That wasn't the focus, but the, the media made uh, some, some, some headlines about it. And, and I, and I certainly got a chance to talk about it nationally and, mm -hmm. and, and what it meant and proud to do it. I'm proud of our state for it, but it, it meant, it meant something to me because 
Um, I knew the struggle that it meant. Well, I think I know. I know of the struggle mm-hmm. that it meant for many others for me to be standing there. Civil rights pioneers like Clara Looper uh, and others, J.C. Watts. But I also thought about future generations that mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's just possible. You know, the, the, the America that my kids grew up in, they know about female governors and mm-hmm. and Native American congressmen and African American speakers and congressmen and and black presidents like that it, that's just as common to them as is is you know winter and summer so and that's a good thing Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.